This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. And welcome back to another edition of the Underdog Dynasty Podcast, AAC edition. My name is Dan Morrison. That is Emily Van Buskirk. How are you doing today? Doing great. How are you? I am doing tired. I'm doing yeah. tired. I <laughs> yeah, just messed up the introduction. Fun. It's going to have to be edited to make it sound like I didn't. It's fine. Uh, luckily for me, we only have three games this week. Yes. Yeah. It's a light week. It is. You know, so we'll get to those in a minute. We also are going to have a little bit later, we're doing like a mid-season awards kind of thing on the show today, just to kind of like see where everything's at. Uh, you know, so we're pretty excited about that, I'd say. Yeah. I, know I am. I uh, am. I think yeah. it'll be fun to look back on how far we've come and who's done notable things. It's always good. It definitely will be. Uh, I did want to update the records because, as I mentioned on the last show, I completely forgot to add them up and didn't have in front right. of me. Uh, Which I'm so, fine with, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, so last week I was 4-1, and one, and that puts me at 44-15 and 15 on the year. Uh, you okay. were 2-3, and three, correct? I want to make sure. I got yes. That. Yep. Okay. That puts you at 31 and 28 for the year, mm. which is decidedly a winning record. It is. It's still, it is. Not a lot of Staying games. close though. <laughs> Not a lot of games to catch up this week. Uh, you are going to want to avoid that clean sweep though, because, you know, you'll be staring at a, a 500 record if you do. I think I'll be okay because Tulane's not playing this week. So I don't have so you to can't pick, pick them. them. You, no yes. one makes you pick them. I picked them the first few weeks. I, Look what I did. I stopped. I make, I make me pick them. It's like a pride thing at this point. Eventually I, the olive green will win. They, they will. I didn't look at the rest of the schedule. So I, I probably shouldn't say I mean, that. It's, they're into AAC play now. So it's only, they're only up conference games. So like, Oh. Do you think they're better than Tulsa and SMU and teams like that? We'll see. It really depends. It Morgan. depends on which Tulsa team yeah. shows up. <laughs> well, no, but Tulane's not a 1-11 team, so I'm not concerned about them never winning again. They're not. Uh, okay. Okay, we've got a game Thursday. Let's start there. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do that. <laughs> uh, Thursday at 7.30, Navy is at Memphis. This is a much closer game annually than I think people realize. Mm. And Navy uh, doesn't typically win at the Liberty Bowl, but they almost always keep it close. Last year was like a 10 to 7 game, and that really shouldn't have been close like that. Memphis was the much better team on paper, at least. You know, And now we look at Memphis is coming to this game kind of in a little bit of a downward spiral, and Navy's building mm-hmm. on something all of a sudden. Uh, what do you think that we need to look out for in this game? Gosh, it's, it's so crazy to me because like you said, if we looked at this before, you know, at the beginning of the season, it's like a non, Mm -hmm. it's like a non thing, you know, and this is the game that my, 
you know, Mac, Mike McIntyre was like, you should come out to this game because when we were talking about it, I think mm-hmm. in his mind, it was like, this was going to be a fun game a to watch. Game yeah, exactly. And so he was like, yeah, come out and, and see what we can do. But now as we head into it, you know, Memphis, where they are losing to Tulsa that way and Navy giving SMU a game after they beat I, UCF. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't know. I really don't know who I'm going to pick in this one. This is going to be like a game time decision. Yeah. I, well, we're coming up on that. You only got a couple. Minutes I'm going to let you go first. So. Well, you're just going to pick against me. That's mean. Uh, no, I think that uh, the real key to this game is if Memphis can control the Navy triple option. Obviously, right. that's right. not like that's not like not great insight. Everyone knows that by me. <laughs> right. Navy, or sorry, Memphis really, really struggled last week against the run at Tulsa. They just mm-hmm. could not slow it down. They had a couple runs. Tulsa did that. Absolutely was embarrassing for the Memphis defense. Their tackling was. It was really bad, and they were losing at the line of scrimmage. Yeah. Maybe it's a team that is first off going to cut block you, which is a pain to deal with. It's not yes. something you're used to have happening. It's really it's tough on your knees, frankly. It's tough on defensive linemen who aren't, you know, it's a completely different skill set to get past a cut block than it is a regular block. It's just, it's a lot. Yeah. Um, you have to be very assignment sound and can't be undisciplined at all. You know, that's, you know, I'm not calling Memphis undisciplined, but it's not like their defense is elite at that type of thing either. You know, right. it's something that they've been trying to work on though. Uh, and then the triple option, it does force you to make decisions in space as a defender. And I don't know that Memphis's defensive guys are decisive enough at this point to do that. Uh, and on top of that, tackling fullbacks and like a six, one quarterback who wants to run through you all day is not particularly fun. So it's I hard. think, I it's- think it's going to be a really <laughs> tough assignment for the Memphis defense. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's, you know, again, a month ago, I wouldn't have said that I would have said, you know, right. it might be tricky for them, but like. Now I'm a lot more confident in what Navy's been doing the past couple of weeks, you know? Yeah. Um, on the flip side of it, Memphis has the speed and athletes on their offense that Navy shouldn't be able to slow them down. You right. know, and the, you know, the strength of Navy's defense is their, what I consider to be a very creative blitz package and not a very deceptive blitz package from Brian Newberry, their defensive coordinator. But the fact is they are smaller and they are, you know, slower than Memphis is going to be. So, Memphis should score and score quickly. The trick is, well, are you going to score so quickly that your defense is exhausted? That was kind of an issue against UTSA's running game, which again, also ran through that Memphis defense. Yeah. You know, uh, so I think, I think Memphis is in danger of their defense playing 45 minutes in this game, which I'm not a big time of possession guy, but that's a lot. That's different. Yeah. I think they're in danger of, you know, just getting worn out and not getting enough stops against Navy. I think I think the the fourth quarter of this game, if you're going to tune in at all, that's where you should tune in, because I think throughout the first three, it's going to be sketchy. You know what I mean? And we're not really going to know how it's going to pan out. But that fourth quarter for Navy is is pivotal because they could not finish Mm -hmm. last week and they did not score in that fourth quarter. So if Memphis can just hang on and and write it out for those Mm -hmm. first three and then you know, finish like they have done in previous games this year at yeah. home. Um, I think at home street for Memphis. Exactly. I think they're going to, I think they're going to pan out. It's just, I think it's going to be a nail biter for, at some point where you're looking at it and like, Oh my God, mm. they might lose, but I don't think they're actually going to lose. So yeah. the other thing that you have to be like, remember with, uh, the left fourth quarter, at least is mm-hmm. for Navy against SMU, they weren't able to wear down the SMU defense the way they did UCF's the week before UCF's defense was exhausted and had 
basically no chance of stopping them come the fourth quarter and their offense can stay on the field. So I really, it's going to be about how long Memphis can stay on the field. Also Memphis needs to clean up their turnovers. Don't give me the extra possessions in this game, you know? Yes. You know, uh, and with that being said, I think I'm taking Navy. Really? Yeah. I think I got Navy in this one. I don't think, I don't trust Memphis's run defense at all. Wow. That's crazy. Okay. Well, I'm going to, I was going to go Memphis, but I am still going to go. I'm going to go Memphis. I think they're going to, I think they're going to do it. I think their secondary. Mm -hmm. Oh, I see. It's a very similar game to uh, what Navy played last week. against SMU stylistically, at least it's a very, you know, it's a spread offense that they're going up against. It's trying to put up to points. I know what SMU does and what Memphis does completely different offenses, but like, the mentality is at least a little bit similar that they're going to be explosive on offense and the defense will try to get theirs. And I mm-hmm. think that Memphis is just a lesser version of that type of thing this year, you know, not necessarily through any fault of their own. They're a very young team. It's a you know, freshman quarterback, freshman running back, you know, right. a lot of young guys on the defense, but uh, I just think that Navy is coming on so hard right now. And I think Memphis also, I do think that momentum of like spiraling is there at this point. They're, I think probably going to be panicking a little. Hennigan does lead in passing yards in the conference, 323 per year. game. Yeah, he's having a great yeah. year. But, so uh, I, I think they're going to be okay offensively. And you're right, defensively is, is going to be where Memphis has to step up. But I feel like it's going to come down to that fourth quarter mm-hmm. and they're going to win or something crazy is going to happen like the Mississippi State game. And So, so you're predicting it kind of looks a little bit like the SMU-Navy game last week where it's yes. close, close and then – one team with the I think app. Navy is one of those teams where they tend to repeat themselves in games and you just see the same thing all the time because that's what they are. Well, there's, so it, there are variations and subtleties to it that can trick you if mm-hmm. you're not careful, but they do. Right. Yeah. It, but it's the triple option and it's a lot of counteraction and you, you do know what to expect. It's just whether or not you can stop it. Right. So, I mean, you have to imagine that's what you know Memphis is planning for this whole week. So mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know if they could stop it, but I, they're at home. I give them a little bit of an advantage. So like they need it. <laughs> they do. They do need a win bad. Uh, yeah. Only two games after that, both of them on Saturday, both of them at noon. Uh, the first mm-hmm. one we'll talk about is Tulsa at USF. Uh, okay. Tulsa coming off a win, USF coming off a bye. What do you think of this right off the bat? This, I don't, again, it's another game where you're, where you're like, I thought I knew what we were going to see. And and now we don't because Tulsa, I don't trust them. You know what I mean? I think obviously last, not for a second. Yeah. And USF is like the little engine that could, I I told you that, like, I love, I I love their team and I love Jeff Scott and I love their quarterback. So in this one, I'm kind of like rooting for them a little bit. Um, But I don't know. I really don't know. This is another one. I don't know what to pick. Like, I think my heart, my head is like, you should pick Tulsa. Right. Mm-hmm. But like USF's at home, they really, they are trying to build on the momentum and show that they can fight. They need the win. Um, it's tough. Mm-hmm. The bulls offense, they're not bad statistically. I, mm-hmm. I don't oh, know. Okay. I'll go. Um, yeah, I don't really trust either team to pick them. I right. think it's going to be a very interesting game to watch just to get an idea of where both teams are at. Like, you know, going into last week, I told 
I was very, very down on Tulsa. I just, yeah, <laughs> I was sick of them. Their only win was against a bad Arkansas state team. And I was just sick of pretending that they were anything like they were last year, you know, uh, then they went and beat Memphis who I also have kind of this mixed feelings about where they at as a program right now, where they at as a team. Uh, so it's, I don't know what Tulsa is hundred percent right now. You know, like I do my power rankings every week. I had no idea where to put Tulsa this past week. I'll be honest. I know. Like, I don't know what just, to do with them. <laughs> and, you know, USF, I know what they are at the very least. I know that they are well, one of the bottom two or so teams in the conference and they're trying mm-hmm. to build something, you know, I, again, I don't see, say that as like an insult to South Florida, but like, it's, no, it's just what it is realistically. <laughs> like yeah. you're trying to build something. You need to like get a foundation going to do that. Trust me. I, you know, you know, I went to the UMass UConn game this past weekend. UMass has won two games since 2019. Like it can take time to build something. And you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like it's okay. It's not an insult to like say that. It might right. take time. In fact, it's actually better to let it take time and trust the process kind of deal. Yeah. Not that we trust the process the way the 76ers do. That's weird. But, uh, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like trust that building process rather than doing like what a Florida state's doing right now, which is you know, every like year and a half that isn't perfect, you panic and try and like reset and gets worse. You know, so you have to take that time to really build it up. I want to see USF in this game because they are at home. They're coming off a bye. I want to see them come out and let Timmy McLean kind of go and either win it or lose it for them. Let him open up the offense, open up the playbook for him and say, go do it. Tulsa's secondary is not all that strong. Mm -hmm. Tulsa's defensive line is very good and they will make it difficult at best for usf to run the ball on them i don't expect to see usf gain a lot on the ground so it is I think yeah they want to score an offense they need to let mclean kind of grip it and rip it and see what happens and you know don't make it a check down game don't make it a kind of very in control game manager thing like say let's go see everything that you have and go win it or lose it for us doesn't matter which because you know you're not going to a bowl game anyways you're just right Go, you're like, here to learn. You're here exactly, to grow. Exactly. You know? Think it's a game yeah. where you can either say, oh, this is what you can do. Let's go keep doing that. Or like, here's what you need to work on and we can develop from there. That's why we want to see you. And again, that's not saying I don't need them to win the game. I just need them to play confident. To do better than they did last week. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, I do think Tulsa on both lines is a lot better than USF. But mm-hmm. I don't trust Davis Brent as a quarterback just yet. I don't trust their secondary, um, you know, and I don't frankly trust Philip Montgomery as the head coach, you know, (laughs) interesting. No, I just don't. I, especially his offensive scheme. It's not consistent the way it should be with his particular background. You know? Yeah. I'm not, I mean, I'm not a huge, I didn't get the the background of Tulsa last year like you had. So I just haven't been a believer since I saw their first game against Davis, but I will say that. I got, mm-hmm. I got last year. I also got like the three years before that where he won like seven or eight games the whole time. Right. You know, right. Last year was kind of a weird anomaly, but still, I mean, they, they got some people to buy in. So yeah. there was something there, but I think with USF, this is my thing is you look at their record and you look at their losses and you say, okay, this team is, is struggling, but they played really good opponents. I mean, ranked teams, mm-hmm. you know, and yes, they lost the way you're supposed to lose to a ranked team, but it's not, it's a skewed sample size because you cannot tell how really good they are until they play a team like Tulsa and Temple. These two back-to-back games are going to be very measuring stick, you know, 
like indicators of how he's doing there. So I'm actually excited for this because we're going to get to see the real bulls and what they can do against a fair opponent, you know, and that may, that might sound bad, but that's what it is. No, that's absolutely fair. It's the same way when, uh, you know, when we get any matchup like this, where you say like, Mm -hmm. no, we get to learn a little something about the two teams. We're learning something in this game because the truth is we might be halfway through the year right now, but neither one of these teams has, looked all that particularly good, you know, right. Tulsa has been a little bit more confusing USF. You kind of know what's going on there. Tulsa makes right. a little less sense, you know, at least at a glance, you know, if you dive deeper, you know, that they lost a lot off of last year's team, blah, blah, blah. Right. You don't need to rehash that too much. Everyone knows of it, course. but like, you know, there are two teams in a similar position and they're also two teams who need to show which direction second half of the year is going to go for them. Is it going to be, like, do you crater out or do you have something to build on? I guess is the best way to put it. Um, right. Who are you picking? I am going to ride with USF because I think this is going to be the week we get to see who, what they're really made of and who they are. So in their home, I'm very much an advocate for the home field advantage. So, and Tulsa just hmm. doesn't do it for me. Mm-hmm. So. I think I agree with you. Ah! Oh my God. At home. At home after a bye week, Tulsa yeah. obviously looked really good last week. They were very good in the trenches. If they win this game, it's because they are stronger. Their running game and their ability to like make USF one-dimensional will do it. I just, yeah. I don't know, gets us picked the Bulls. Let's do it. We're yeah. rolling. We're all in. Jeez, that feels awful. It feels <laughs> weird, but I'm here for it. I'm here for it. <laughs> Uh, well, at least this game, this game is going to be interesting for you. This last one, because it, you know what you should do, but I don't know I, if I you're going to do I it. I know what I'm doing. It's fine. <laughs> okay. Uh, UCF at Cincinnati. Uh, number three, Cincinnati. This was one of those to you, games, Dan. Uh, yeah. That's until number the, three until the playoff poll starts coming out and they come in at number seven <laughs> and then they've got a bye week and they're number nine afterwards for some reason, because right they, now they're the number three team. Yeah. They're the number three team in the nation right now. And so we are celebrating that. that time to change. <laughs> we are celebrating it yes, with Cincinnati fans. We're happy it's, for you. It's, no, it it's is exciting. awesome that they're ranked that highly. It's looks, yes. it's great for the conference as a whole. Again, like I mentioned. Enjoy it. Houston's enjoy it for now, right? <laughs> exactly. I mentioned like, just it's great it. for the conference. Houston's good again. It just sucks they're mm-hmm. leaving. Same thing with this with Cincinnati. It's great yeah. how good they are. It's a shame they're leaving, at least from the yeah. conference's uh, perspective. But, uh, you know, this game itself, I think, is going to be uh, a really good one, a really fun one. Really? I think okay. it's going to be fun. First off, okay. the atmosphere at Nimpert's going to be absolutely incredible. And I think yep. that's, you know, UCF starting uh, once again, Mikey Keene, the true freshman, like 18-year-old. Uh, that's not <laughs> going to go. It's, it's going to be a big atmosphere for him. You know, like yeah. Navy was his first start. That was a road game. And that's a very unique, special atmosphere. This is going to be a much more intense one. Uh, that's going to play a factor, at least for how UCF's offense operates. The offense needs to rely heavily on its running backs who are, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, I think still missing Isaiah Bowser, the big bruiser in the backfield. So they're going to be a little bit more small ball running backs, more speed on the outside kind of deal. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's fine. Those guys are good. You just would like to have the complement of the, uh, you know, big inside back. And then you need to make sure all his passes are kind of quick, get it out of his hands. You know, I mentioned just before about Tim, let Timmy McLean open it up. Do not let Mike Keene open it up. He's not, mm-hmm. don't put him in that situation against Cincinnati. 
you know, keep it to screens, keep it to slants, keep it to one or two quick reads. Don't make him go through progressions. The offensive line, help him out, help him out and give him time to do that quick, you know, progression stuff. Yeah. Uh, do that. I think UCF can score some points, not more, not a lot of points, but some points, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, on the other side of the ball. Uh, what do you do about Jerome Ford, sir? Oh, there's a lot of injuries and that's going to be an issue. I think you, <laughs> yeah. I think you rely on Tatum Bethune. I think mm-hmm. you need a huge day from him. Yeah. Uh, you need your, you know, you need your best linebackers to step up, especially with injuries to guys like Kalia Davis. Uh, you need to see big cat Bryant in the backfield, uh, Anthony Montalvo in the backfield. You need to see, uh, you know, uh, Salascar, you need to see those guys pressuring Ritter all day long and forcing him to throw it a little bit before he's ready. UCF defense right. line, even with a couple injuries at D tackle, is still very capable of you know against a not great Cincinnati offensive line. If we're being honest, is very mm-hmm. capable of pressuring Ritter and forcing him to make throws before he wants to. Uh, right. You know, again, like you mentioned, Ford, it's, he's going to be difficult for them to stop because he's going to go up the middle at backup t- defensive tackles. That's just reality. Uh, my concern, especially for the UCF defense, is that secondary is still very young and still learning a lot of things. And they looked pretty good against ECU, but this is a little bit of a different piece. I'm, in particular, uh, Alec Pierce, the uh, wide receiver who's their big play threat. I think he's probably going to get it. I'm pr- I think he's probably going to get his against the UCF defense. That'll probably be in yeah. throughout the course of the game. Uh, I think the special teams are also interesting in this game because since his kicker has been abysmal and uh, Gus Malzahn <laughs> does not trust uh, Daniel Obarski, the UCF kicker. He just doesn't the way he's used him. It's crazy. Um, it's just. I mean, I don't know I mean, how good he is. I guess, but last year he I, not even like. Last year was really he was terrible. If we're being honest, last, like he never made a kick terrible, or like, like he cost them several games terrible. So Malzahn's going off of that, but he wasn't the coach then. I feel like but he's been the coach the all off season if he's still missing in practice. And why, why even have a kicker at that point? Like they didn't didn't kick until the Navy game. That's like when I say there's there's not somebody on campus who can't walk on the team and like get a soccer player. Jesus, how hard is it? So if I could kick field goals, like I have done it, you know what I mean? It's get a female. I guarantee you I'm incapable of kicking a field goal. If you told me like, it's really not as hard as you think. I've never been able to get the ball like elevated. It's not the distance or power. It's the like actually understanding how to elevate. There's there's a technique issue that I just don't understand about it is all that. I think. People who played soccer like myself, I played in college and they're like, I have a girlfriend who is the kicker for her college team. Mm-hmm. Now it's, it's division three, but still you could find kickers. That's my point. Gus Malzahn. Okay. Like if you really well, wanted one, you could find it. Well, he's been used very, very sparingly this year. And I don't yes. think that there's, a, I think there's a lack of trust and that lack of trust does extend to UCF fans who don't trust Obarski as the kicker. Well then go find a new one. That's my, well, that, that's, that's what people have been asking for. <laughs> okay well then he needs I, to I would say that uh Josh Heupel going back and this is a whole other bag of worms didn't mm-hmm. care about anything but the offense the defensive players often felt like he was not paying attention to them and he was kind of like oh just go with Randy Shannon and he'll he'll be your head coach I'm the head coach of the offense and he definitely was not great at special teams he was not very disciplined like the team lost a lot of discipline under him uh, we just saw Tennessee came out in the second half against South Carolina and like looked like they were sleepwalking all second half after a big first half lead. That's Josh Heupel 101 at UCF. Any UCF fan <laughs> can tell you that's every single game. 
they'd go into the like halftime locker room like 28 to 10 with the lead and the game would end up being like 35 to 31 with and just this terrible like sleepwalking second half sometimes uh yeah so those are there's a lot of those hangovers from the hypo era that i still think are ingrained into the that you're you know you don't just like come in and shake out it out like it's a beach towel no this needs a full wash sometimes to get the cold no, but the great thing about hangovers is that they wear off eventually just they takes do. time they do but you know i mean it's still year one and there's yeah you know what is i think that uh if ucf was not so devastated with injuries I'd be inclined to pick the upset partially because yes, I'm a little bit biased, but also yes. because Dylan Gabriel is incredible at, you know, going up against yeah, and putting up big points. games like that. You know, yeah, but for sure. You're missing your top two running backs. You're missing your, mm-hmm. you know, all conference quarterback, who's probably, if not him, Mordecai was going to be the offensive player of the year. You know what I mean? You're missing yeah. right now believe Jalen Robinson still out your top wide receiver you know you're missing like I mentioned two defensive tackles a couple offensive linemen have had issues uh you've mm-hmm. had issues at linebacker in terms of depth and injuries like it the list goes on and on and that's right. gonna I think keep them from having a realistic shot at the upset I do think they're still talented enough especially in the trenches to keep it closer than I saw the spread was like 19 points I was it's just gonna, gonna say right 19. now to you do you feel the disrespect? It's not 19, it's 20 and a half. So Do that you feel that, that disrespect? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's not. This is not a three touchdown game. It just isn't. UCF's two I mean, losses. But it could be. Desmond no, Ritter is like. But, okay, let me go through it again. Let's say all the injuries are still there. But, you know, mm-hmm. instead of throwing a pick six at the end of Louisville, uh, I forget which receiver it was, instead of batting into the air when they dropped it, it fell down at their feet and UCF wins that game. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay, now they're only one loss, and it was to Navy, and it was you know Navy had to come from behind. It was because the quarterback was injured. You can write all these things off. It's probably much more like a ten point spread. Uh, you know, Cincinnati has been starting games incredibly slowly all season long, especially on offense. The defense, I'm not too concerned about there, but their offense, you know, against Murray State, seven points in the first half against Notre Dame. If it wasn't for Notre Dame giving them the ball inside the 15 yard line twice, they're like seven points in the first half. You know, against yeah. Temple, 17 points in the first half. And it was really a you know, punch in the mouth to start the second half that got them the blowout. You know, their offense is not exactly lighting the world on fire. And I think the UCF defense can definitely keep them down and make it look a little bit like the UCF ECU game last week, where you go, man, this is kind of a little bit of a slog, a little bit of a you know slugfest for at least some time. No, I don't think yeah. UCF's gonna win this game. Cincinnati is the better team. Uh, you know, they yeah. do have more depth. They don't have the injury issues. They're very well coached. Desmond Ritter's a great quarterback. I'm picking Cincinnati to win. I'm not crazy. I'm just saying three touchdowns is way too big of a spread. It's going to be a closer game than that. I think it's going to be a blowout. But wow. well, well, I just, I wasn't a big believer until I saw the blame person mm-hmm. in that Notre Dame game. And then, and then watching them at Nipper, it really is a crazy environment. Yeah. Like it looks that- deadly. That's a very, very difficult environment for Mikey King yeah. to play. Dylan Gabriel played there his freshman year too. Mm-hmm. And that was his second road start. It's actually kind of a similar situation. All things considered a little bit different for because, you know, nothing's exactly parallel, but uh, right. that UCF team had several trips down to the red zone and Gabriel threw a couple of really bad interceptions into the, that three, three, five defense they were running in the red zone. Once it got kind of more compressed down, you know, is that's mm-hmm. another thing. That's another hypo thing. The red zone offense was so bad. It just they couldn't figure yeah. out how to 
finish drives if they weren't big play scores. That's so beside the point, but like, but Gabriel really struggled in that environment with especially like finishing drives to not make the bad throw and, you know, to deal with that kind of crowd noise. And, you know, he was a freshman at the time. I think if he was healthy this year, it'd be a very different situation, but he's not. And we've got another true freshman going into this game with, uh, you know, and it's going to be very difficult. The crowd's going to be electric, you know, beating UCF means a lot to Cincinnati the same way beating Cincinnati means a lot to UCF right now. Yeah. You know, these two teams think of themselves as the top two in the conference, you know, this year, it's probably Cincinnati SMU, their top two, but like they think of themselves as the top two programs in the conference. It's a big deal. They're both going to the big 12. I think they're both very aware that they think they think they both think very highly of themselves in that regard. You know what I mean? Yes. So it's it going to be a crazy, crazy crowd. So ABC who are you picking? Cincinnati. I'm picking Cincinnati. Picking Cincinnati. Yeah. Same. All right, so the only place we differ is in that Memphis Navy game, so we'll have to be watching that Thursday night. Mm-hmm. Always. I don't yeah. know what the NFL game is this week, but always the Thursday night college game. A hundred percent. You know, and my beloved Red Sox just beat up on the race. So, mm. you know, take that, Eric. You know. <laughs> I didn't even know, is Eric a baseball fan? Like, he's a, he's or is he just fan. like... Is he like casual or is he like an no, actual he's fan? He's an actual Tampa fan. Okay. I did I didn't know that there was life outside of football like that. So it's good. <laughs> it's good. Yes, like it, it is good. He's got his <laughs> Tampa Bay Rays and now they've been eliminated in four games. It's great. Mm-hmm. You know, gotta see Fine. if we're getting the White Sox or the Astros. Oh. But yeah, won't have to deal with the trip down back to Tampa. So that's nice. Yes. Uh, absolutely. Uh we've got awards to do though. Yes. We do. Um, would you like to go first or would you like me to go first? Um, why don't you start us off with like a good, a solid football one and then I'll jump in with some. All right. We can go back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of heard Emily introduce that there. I'm going to do more of your kind of traditional midseason awards. She's got some really, I think, more interesting ones to talk about, though. <laughs> But, uh, I don't know about that, but I, we have, it's going to be a fun mix. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, it'll be good. Uh, yeah. I'm going to start with a surprise team for everyone on the year. And it's a surprise kind of in a negative way, Tulane. Oh, no. I don't think anyone expected <laughs> them to be one in five, oh, and two in conference midway point. You know, did you? Not. No, 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 you're going to still 100% not. <laughs> you know, 100% like, not. And there's factors that go into it. The hurricane displacement did not help them at all trying to get off to a normal start. Uh, but this is a team, you know, Michael Preckin, we are very highly anticipated to see what type of growth and development would happen. Uh, yes. As we've talked about, the turnovers are still happening probably too much. He He's a little too streaky in that regard where he's hot, really hot and incredible for stretches. And then he'll go a couple drives in a row where you're like, what are you looking at? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and because of that, uh, as well as the defense, as I mentioned on our review show the other day, just kind of falling apart in a way that they really shouldn't have this year, is that defense should not be one of the worst in the country, but they are statistically now. Uh, yeah. Those are things I think have surprised everyone. And because of that, I've got them down there as a surprise team in this very uh, unfortunate way. A small chance to turn it around if you're looking at everything going forward, you know, they're in conference play now, you know, they can have a good running conference play, but you know, they need this bye week. Yeah, they really do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 
They do in a big way. That that bums. I mean, I get why you have to give it to them, but that bums me out to no yeah. end. Well, I was thinking about this. You can go kind of like surprise in one of two ways, where mm-hmm. it's like surprise good or surprise bad. Um, and I don't like giving it to Tulane as a surprise bad because I really like Tulane. Like, I like what the program has become. I like how they've developed themselves. I like Willie Fritz. I like all the effort they put in. You know, I like their fans a lot. You know, I mean, yeah. like the interactions I've had with their fans, you know, whether it's in person or on Twitter, have always been super positive. I just, you know, one in five is one in five. You weren't supposed to be there. Yeah, you know, they really aren't. You know, this was a year that they thought they could take a step forward. Yeah, I really thought it was. But I, we do have to remember, I think something that I keep forgetting myself is that this is Chip Long's first year. So, Maybe he just needs to figure it out too, you know? It is. Uh, there is like a kind of get comfortable with one another process that he and uh, Pratt need to do and the rest of the offense yeah. as well. We often talk about things in a very quarterback-centric way. Just it's how we talk about football. I think everyone mm-hmm. does. But like it's not just Pratt who needs to do it. The offensive line needs to block a lot better than they have been. Yeah. Like, you know, and I'm not smart enough to talk about intricates of like the intricacies of blocking schemes. I'm just not, I know like a little bit about them, but like if I'm watching a game, I'm not like, ah, beautiful pin and pull method there. You know what I mean? I'm not, it's not what's going through <laughs> my head. Uh, right. You know what I mean? But there are different blocking schemes that that line could be, at, you know, I'd have to like actually do a deep dive where they're just not used to what they're being asked to do yet. You know, yeah. things like that it happen all be. the time. That, that could yeah. be, again, part of it. Part of it's all, you know, everything. It's all yeah. not clicking right now, though. It's definitely not clicking at the moment, but <laughs> hopefully, you know, they'll take this time to regroup and figure it out. And I hope so, too, because I, again, like Tulane, would love to turn around. Yeah, I would as well. Um, okay, so for my first award, I am going to do something a little different. I'm going to talk about uniforms. And um, we already talked about the worst ones in the last podcast, because I don't really think that there has been worse American uniforms than the, the thing um, Memphis that, Tulsa game. I'm, I, I hate to cut you off. But the part of it was they were both okay. bad. So like if they, yeah. they clashed, they didn't go to, oh, like you can right. have a if bad uniform been one and the other team's one, like fine. Yeah. You forget about right. it. You don't think that they were both mm-hmm. bad. <laughs> no, but they were. So, um, so that we already talked about that. So we don't really need to touch on anymore. So I was going to do best uniforms. And this one for me is kind of a toss up um, because it's one that we've already seen, which is in my opinion, those two lane helmets from the Ole Miss game, which yeah, game aside, wrong. obviously, yeah, didn't help uh, at all. Well, no, not at all. It didn't help. So, but they were incredibly cool throwback Um helmets that they had from their nod to the sec days for Tulane. So those, in my opinion, were like some of the best uniform things that we've seen. Now, that being said, I think the best uniforms yet to come today, we just received um, an email from UCF and I'm sure you saw this, but um, I, I just tweeted out piece by piece the space game uniforms. And every year we look forward to these because they're always really cool. And it's such a nod to something neat. Um, so if you want to check that out, definitely go on my Twitter. I did a deep breakdown of what the uniforms look like because I wanted to get a, give everybody like an idea of overall. So they're dedicated, they're honoring the 40th anniversary of the shuttle program. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. which is so cool. And um, I basically broke it down by what's on each thing. So for example, like the numbers um, zero through nine, they list um, all 135 missions of the space shuttle program. They're written out across the zero mm-hmm. through nine digits, which is so cool. Um, they have specific patches. They have the stripe down the pants that is supposed to show the rectangular pattern of the wings of the shuttle. It's like an outline of that. Mm-hmm. So anyways, if you want to see all of that, just go to Twitter or go to the UCF website. They have it too. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of the coolest ones that I've seen from Space Day, don't you think? I was actually going to ask you, where do you think they ranked this? 2018s are still my favorite. The ones they wore against Temple in 2018. I really like those Were those, those ones. the Constellation, black. the black ones? Yeah, yeah. the all-black Constellation with the uh, Canaveral blue-like stripes. I really like those still. That was cool. Uh, I mean, aesthetically, I think, those are the cool ones, but I like this one. Okay. They're not like they're not like anything cool to look at because they're just white and black and they have a little bit of the blue. But I think the meaning behind each thing is so interesting. It definitely is. I bet somewhere on there, there's the Bull Slayer Constellation because they like to include that on the uh, space game uniforms. I I haven't like looked close. I saw them. I glanced at them uh, earlier mm-hmm. today. I didn't take the time to like really look at them just because I didn't have the time to break down the uniforms. I know uh, that's kind of what I, I did right before we, <laughs> we started <laughs> as I was like doing this, but, but I was like, Oh, it pertains to what I'm doing. So it's great. Yeah, I mean, they have exactly. patches on yeah, they, um, they the arms. They, ton of yeah. And also I'd say like, I know that I know UCF fans can be too much about the space stuff sometimes, like when Mississippi State and <laughs> Purdue did space uniforms, like you're stealing our thing. And I didn't like that because who cares? It's a uniform. But I would also right. encourage people who don't know why UCF does space uniforms to look up the university's connection to like to NASA and to the right. US space program, which are very deeply linked, like 25% of the people who work at uh, you know, Cape Canaveral's uh, NASA center there are for UCF mm-hmm. graduates. Uh, you know, it's, a space grant university that's a very important like school as far as space research goes and things like yeah. that and the 50 yard lines actually lined up with the launch pad at cape canaveral and uh so when they do launches you can like see it perfectly lined up and it's very cool if you've seen any of the photos from those like the spacex launches that have gone off recently yeah i mean they tweet uh, them all the time the, so. <laughs> anytime they happen they tweet them out yeah so yeah. like if you follow ucf's twitter account you'll see them eventually uh, I thought the other neat thing was the helmet stripe. They have yeah. this clear kind of helmet stripe over the white helmet with names of over a hundred UCF alumni, faculty, and fans who worked on the space shuttle program. And you can see all of the names and the year they graduated, mm-hmm. which is, it's just such a cool homage to it and an honor. So, um, yeah. you know, I think it's good. I think it's neat. I'm excited to yeah. see them. They're going to wear those on the October 22nd game against Memphis, I believe is yeah. when. And I'll be honest. Um, before we get off this uniforms topic with this, mm-hmm. I did not like the light side and dark side of the moon helmets from a few years ago. Yeah, I thought those were like they gave me like a headache to look at. To be honest, that yeah. was a cool idea, but they were like a lot to look at during the. These game ones itself. are much more clean. I like these. These are going to yeah. be fun. I like that you can see the writing on the black numbers, but it's not overwhelming. I think everything is really well done and like tasteful and clean. So it'll be mm-hmm. cool. Now we just don't want Memphis to like screw it up and wear something crazy. So, uh, I mean, Memphis, like I mentioned, they've got very good uniforms when they want to. Yeah. They've got good colors that can pop and like work together. Just, I hate when they wear like the gray and black co- like colors. It's weird. Yes. It's weird. Um, all right. All right. What's your next award? I'm going to go coach of the year. Ooh. Okay. And I'm going to go Dana. Dana Holgerson. Oh at Houston. Okay. Five and one start for Dana. 
here's also his first two years were pretty much disasters. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's, but they were both disasters that kind of had an excuse attached to them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. the first year was the year where after week four, King basically was like, I'm out. I'm not liking this. And he convinced him like, what if you redshirted instead of transferring right away? And then like, he got a bunch of guys to redshirt to like build up the next year. And then King still transferred and went to Miami and everything that's going on there now with him. Uh, but <clears throat> the team was not good after that because of course they weren't good. They just, you know, basically had their like several of their best players sit for the rest of the year. That's a weird thing to do mm-hmm. because it's good. You know, there's no tanking in college football. There just isn't, you know? <laughs> there's nothing better. <laughs> there's no good draft pick that you're going to get. Uh, and then, you know, year two is the pandemic, a ton of cancellations for Houston, but they still weren't really winning. And, you know, right. he came into this year on the hot seat. Uh, the Texas tech game, was a disaster because you know a different coach on the hot seat completely like flipped the script at half and made him look like he didn't know how to adjust and since then mm-hmm. houston has absolutely dominated their games their offense is efficient and putting up tons of points their defense is full of great athletes who are learning how to make plays as a unit and i think over the course of just this year but especially over the course of the three years you've seen what's led to this and even this season the growth that's going on they're at Houston. And I think that's really cool to see. And I do think that deserves recognition at the halfway point, at least. I also thought about Mike uh, Houston from ECU here. Yeah. I think he's runner up, right? He was, yeah. He's the other guy I gave a lot of thought to like, I mean yeah. that, and I like Luke Fickle, Sunny Dykes. I know your team's undefeated, but kind of expected it. You guys were there right. last year in that way too. But uh, yeah, Mike Houston also, I gave a lot of thought to just because he's been doing a, really great job building that program there and like we were talking about about usf a little bit ago you know give them the time because the foundation's being built really well at ecu you just don't rush the process you know yeah yeah so i yeah. like that dana well i'm a little surprised but that i see where you're coming from so it, it, it's a big it's, picture dana is what i went with yeah you know yeah they have a lot. We'll see. We'll see how it shakes out. I like that one. Um, okay. For my second one, I'm going to do best. Um, I, I don't know how to phrase this, but like best um, like charity or um, issue like that's being addressed by a school uh, during the game using their platform. And mm-hmm. this one goes to Tulsa for um, last week. They were supporting mental health awareness because it was uh, part of the student athlete advisory committee's powerful minds campaign and powerful spelled with mm-hmm. six. Um, and this was across all platforms and all sports, but um, they, the football team wore the green uh, ribbon mm-hmm. on the helmet, uh, helmet stickers and student athletes had green ribbon pins. Um, and as well as the coaching staff had the green ribbon pins. Mm-hmm. So that was when they were at Houston. And, uh, yeah, so it's in the midst of mental health awareness week, which was October 1st to the 7th. And they were just kind of raising those issues and trying to end the stigma related to seeking help and promoting success through a powerful and healthy mind. So green is that color. It was great to see that they tweeted out in the beginning of the week. Mm -hmm. It was awesome. They tweeted this picture and it was actually in my conference preview article, but they have something called the Bayless Plaza there. And all the student athletes wrote messages. Well, not all, but a lot of them wrote messages around um, in chalk on the plaza for the powerful minds 
campaign. So they wrote quotes and um, empowering mm-hmm. sayings to end the stigma around mental health. So okay. yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah good, we love to see that. That's a really good one. That's just for the first half too. So, you know, be interesting to see what uh, we all come up with for the second half. I you know, know it'll, it'll have to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We'll see what uh, mm-hmm. a lot of different, uh, a lot of different opportunities in the second half. I There's think, a right? lot of causes and, and the football yeah. teams in the athletic and across the country are so great about mm-hmm. supporting them. I mean, it was hard to give this award because there's been some great things, first responders mm-hmm. and, you know, um, COVID relief support and all kinds of donations and different mm-hmm. things being done. So, but this one to me just feels important because it is such a stigma and we're seeing so much of it come out in sports, especially lately. I mean, I don't know if you watched Ted Lasso, but that's being addressed. Yeah. yeah, it's being addressed on that national like platform. Everybody watches that. And so to see them address anxiety and, you know, that kind of depression, that kind of stuff mm-hmm. in such an open way with coaches and players, like that was so great to see. So mm-hmm. we, we just, we love to see it. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> All right. I'm going to go with next up for me is breakout player. Ooh. And ooh, I know this one was actually really tough for me to come up with one on because I, I'm going to tell you right now it's a quarterback and I didn't want to be a quarterback because I hate going quarterback on this kind of right. thing because it feels like lazy. Easy, like, yeah, yeah. It feels like, mm-hmm. I don't want to say lazy, totally. but like, uh, you know what I mean? Like I love if I can find a defensive end or something like that to call right. my breakout player because, you know, or, you know, someone who doesn't get the credit that they're due. Uh, but at the same time, I think Seth and again at Memphis is, really broken out in a big way. Even if Memphis, like we've talked about struggling lately, he, mm-hmm. as a freshman, uh, you just read off that stat a little bit ago about how much, uh, he's yeah. average best, uh, yards per game in the conference. I think you said 323 yards per game. Yeah. And he's at like 60 and a half percent completion percentage, 1,938 mm-hmm. yards, uh, 14 TDs to only three interceptions. He's doing a great job. Uh, at Memphis, making sure that that ball goes downfield. You know, he's done a lot, I, about a month ago or so, and it feels like now, I, it was after the UTSA, I was a little bit critical that he wasn't spreading the ball around enough. It was just like basically mm-hmm. Dykes and Austin who were getting the ball. In the last few games, it's been very different. He's been spreading around a lot more. He looks yeah. funny. That's all that means. Uh, exactly. Next, he heard the podcast. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you to Seth Hennigan, podcast listener. Uh, yes. <laughs> no, you know, and he like, and he's just, I think if they didn't have him, they'd be in a world of hurt because the running game is not working the way it should at Memphis, or at least the way it historically has the defense is not any, you know, I'm not going to try to ride the defense here, but like, they're not, yeah. they're fine. Like, you know, they've got their issues. We talked about that already. We talk about enough. We like Mike McIntyre, so we're not going to be like piling on for anything here. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But there's issues, you know, there's growth that can be that can occur. And I think without him, you know, you're looking at probably losing, you know, maybe to Mississippi state though. A lot of the points against Mississippi uh, state were off special teams in the defensive uh, scoop and score. Uh, you know, we, I think they'd be in a worse place without him by far. And Grant Gannell was supposed to be the guy all off seasons. What we heard the Arizona transfer and you know, he got injured, unfortunately. And I don't think yeah. anyone's even whispered like, uh, well, you know, what about Grant Canell? If, if he's healthy, shouldn't he play? No one's even considered it. I think it's because of how well Hennigan's been doing it. And as a freshman, you know, you don't have to be a freshman to be a breakout player, but it makes it harder to succeed the way he has, certainly. 
I like that. I, I love giving young guys their due because it is not easy to just walk in no. and lead a team as like an 18 year old, 19 year old kid, you know? Absolutely. Like I just talked about my kicking going into Nipper stadium, you know, for our preview of that game. And I don't think that he should be allowed to like throw the ball more than 10 yards downfield against Cincinnati. I think that would be a mistake to like, unless you have to don't like force downfield quick screens to athletes, quick slants to athletes, you know, and hand the ball off. You know what I mean? That might be predictable, but I don't want you to put him in a position to like have to do too much. Seth Hennigan, I don't know. I'd have that concern about, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think that yeah. maybe that's just because I've seen him do it already. Whereas Keen's had a lot less time out there. You know what I mean? If Keen had his first game against, you know, Florida A&M or Bethune Cookman instead of against, you know, conference opponents, I think maybe you feel differently, but the truth is when I, we see freshman play, I expect it to look a lot more intimidated than you ever see with him again. Yeah, he does look more at ease than most guys. Very um, decisive. Age. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's probably a credit to his teammates too, you know, making him feel like he can do that. So, mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. My next award is going to go to, and this is going to be a surprise to nobody, but um, it's going to go to venue, best venue. Ooh. And this is tough because I've, I don't physically think I've ever been and well, no, that's not fair. I've been to Houston. I've been to Tulane. Um, I think that's, I've been to UCF, but that's about where it ends. But this is not from my personal opinion. This is from everybody else's and the world's personal opinion. And I'm sure you know where this is going, but it's got to be Nipper, yeah. Nipper Stadium. Yeah, exactly. The Nip, the, show. the Nip uh, at night. Yeah, I know we have, but you have to address the fact that it is crazy that you can get this kind of, you know, stuff going in Cincinnati. I mean, I didn't, I, I had I had no idea until I joined this podcast that this was even like that big of a thing. I didn't even know the name of the stadium. So um, it's very but, old and like in the campus itself, it's like built into the ground. I want to say, yeah, like very unique uh, setup that they've got there. It's been, I guess, let's see for almost 90 years, I think. Well, let's see. Yeah. Um, and it's not, the funny thing about it is that it's not because somebody donated it, how it got its name. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a, from a player, Jimmy Nippert, mm-hmm. um, which is so cool. And you can read like the whole story about him in the 1920s um, and, and why it's named after him and, and the tradition. So that's kind of cool because most places are named, you know, for, a big donors. donor or yeah, like exactly. it's a sponsorship stadium, you know? Exactly. So it was kind of, it reminded me of Kinnick, you know, it, mm-hmm. Iowa stadium is also named after a player, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, that, that I think is cool. And then after seeing it Friday night, when they did the blackout and nippered at night, came back, they had the players wearing sunglasses. I mean, the fans wearing sunglasses, which was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, you could just see it, it was an incredible place and it clearly does make a difference. So um, that's definitely going to be the environment right now. They have made some upgrades to it, by the way. So yeah. um, it, it's not the same old, old stadium. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, it is an awesome stadium. I did this like, you have know, you off- been? I've not, I've not been no. to Nippert. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, I might, I don't go to the Midwest often. I, I just yeah. don't, I've got a buddy who's getting a doctorate at Ohio state right now. And 
if I end up in Ohio, I'm probably going to end up in Columbus just because of that reason. I don't know if, you know, but we'll see what ends up happening. I can make a full trip of it at some point. Yeah. I'm sure. I just need to uh, figure it out. Uh, no, I was going to say like this past off season, I did one of those kind of like off season articles that is just kind of for the fun debate about it. Like kind of ranked the uh, 11 AAC stadiums. You know, it's obviously my personal opinion. I tried to do it with like, some kind of method to my madness of like, well, you get points yeah. for atmosphere, you get points for how beautiful it is. So obviously that's a subjective thing. Like how, you know what I mean? Like points for like the tradition that goes with it and blah, blah, blah. Uh, I believe I had Nippert at number two on that list. I think okay. Dowdy Ficklin ECU stadium is my top stadium in the conference. Yeah. Well, it's crazy. Cause it's the second oldest stadium in college football, which is something I, you didn't I, expect at Cincinnati. Yeah. It's insane. And and they've just been like making updates. Like yeah. they've, they've done the field. They've redone that they've added the new scoreboard, which is, you know, incredible. And they just keep renovating and making it better and better. Um, it's a lot of money, but they do have like luxury boxes, club seats, new press box. They did a lot of new fan amenities um, this year, which has been helpful for people getting in and out. So I think the capacity is 40,000 uh, around there. So it's a little higher. If I'm not- I don't know. It said that the game on Friday night was 38,000 was the total for um, how many people were there, which isn't quite 40,000, but um, it was a sellout uh, apparently. So I don't know the last. We'll see. Yeah. Trying to look up the Wikipedia. I, no, I know. I, I have all these articles. Oh, about, yeah. um, You're right. It looks like the list, the uh, capacity at 37,798 on Wikipedia, mind you. There we go. So they I said 38. It looks bigger than that to me, though. It does. It does. Because, like, does. You know, I hate to use UCF's bounce house as like a measuring stick, but that's like 45 ish. And I thought that Nippert looked bigger, at least that feels bigger on TV than the bounce house does. One of the cool things, I'm just going to say this before we move on, is in the stadium, there is a granite marker at the south end of the stadium Mm -hmm. gate state. So if you go see, if you go to a game there, go check this out. It's dedicated to the memory of James Gamble Nippert. um, And it was dedicated by students and his law class, 1924. So you can clearly see that's like a grave headstone type looking structure. So um, when I go, I'm definitely going to find that, but just kind of cool things like that, that make stadiums neat. So I'm definitely, mm-hmm. I'm sold. I want to go to Nippert. So. Absolutely. Very cool. All right. <clears throat> My next one, I'm going to go with the big one here. Okay. MVP. First half MVP. Oh boy. Okay. First half MVP. Tanner Mordecai, the SMU quarterback. <laughs> Again, there. Your gut says, no, don't choose a quarterback. That's easy. It's simple. But Tanner Mordecai has been awesome for SMU. Yes. Uh, so far this year, you know, you know, he's at a 72% clip right now for his completion percentage, 1893 yards, 26 touchdowns to seven INTs. Just absolutely explosive. But mm-hmm. it's explosive. That 72% completion percentage is really, really good. That's the type of completion percentage that, you know, would qualify as you know, elite status, you yeah. know, there's, so he's completely explosive while also not, you know, missing targets all that frequently. He does trust his arm too much, I think, and leads to interceptions. I saw Sonny Dykes say something the other day where he was basically like, I only blame one of his interceptions this year on Mordecai himself, like a lot of tip balls, a lot of things like that, of like mm-hmm. interceptions. And 
I agree and I don't agree. He's backing his quarterback there. Like there's still times when he might have gotten tipped up, but you should have thrown that ball into traffic also. You know what I mean? Right. Or like yeah. if it's tipped at the line of scrimmage, well, it is on the quarterback to get the ball up over the line of scrimmage and, you know, not get it batted down or tipped, you know? Right. You know, but yeah. don't get me wrong. Every interception has its own story and not everyone should be blamed on the quarterback. Uh, but no, Mordecai has been awesome leading that SMU offense. I mean, that Hail Mary against LaTeX sticks in my head. I don't know about you. <laughs> yep. You know what I mean? So he's done, I think, just an incredible job. I don't think there's a ton of debate about, you know, who the best offensive player in the conference has been. If you're, you know, and I think that he probably translates to the best player overall in the conference right now. I can see that. I understand it. He has one of the best names too. It's great. No it complaints great. here about Tanner Mordecai. <laughs> Never. All right. Well, I have one last category and it's kind of like your MVP category, except um, it's for the real MVPs, which are the special teams guys. Okay. And I like to give them a shout out. So this is my real MVP category. And I'm going to start with, there's three guys. The first one is the punter, uh, Ryan Wright for Tulane. He has to be given all of the credit in the world for how many times he has to punt when Michael Pratt fails to convert on third and fourth oh, that's down. So mean. There's no need. It's not mean. It's it's true. And he literally is amazing. He's leading the conference in punting, averaging 47.4 punting yards a game. And he had a long of 68, 68 yard long punt. Um, he's got 12 plus 12 in the 50 plus category. Yeah. So he's got 1,186 punting yards, which I don't know how many passing yards that Michael Pratt has, but it might be more than that. I would have to go look. It's, I, it's not, it's, but it's close. It's okay. It's, it's not, not, but it's close. I kind of think it might be. I know I was thinking that too. And then I looked and I was like, so uh, Pratt's got 1,364 passing yards and the punter has 1,186 passing yards. Who is going to have more yards by the end of the game? That's the big question by the end of the year. So we'll have to keep an eye on I that. I like but... to think that it is Pratt at the end of the day. Okay. Well, we don't know that. So Fantastic. shout out Ryan Wright, Tulane punter. You're amazing. The next guy is going to be a kicker and it is the... ECU kicker, Owen mm. Daffer. I really wanted to give it to my buddy, Blake Maz at SMU, because I love him. He's incredible. Came from Washington State, and I'm so mm -hmm. excited to get to watch him. And then I was like, I want to give it to Rory Bell from Temple for hitting that, you know, career 55-yarder. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, the ECU kicker, Owen Daffer, he's made 8 of 10, um, not the highest percentage rate, but he, he made one – he's – he made a 39 yarder and he averages about 1.3 made field goals per game. So kicking is important. It and is. obviously Mike Houston values that. And Gus Malzahn could take a few notes. Uh, on Gus Malzahn, that. If you look at his Auburn team's values, kicking, he inherited a bad situation. Well, he needs to figure it out. So that's my advice. Call up Houston. Um, and then my last one in this category, if you haven't seen this kick return, you should Trey Tucker from Cincinnati ran one back nine 99 yards kickoff return versus Indiana. If you haven't seen it, Google it. It's incredible. And he now leads the conference or he has led the conference, um, in kick returns mm -hmm. with seven for a total of 231 yards. And that one touchdown averaging 33 yards per kick return. So. Fair enough. There we go. All right. Now, do you want me to tell you which kicker you missed and should have talked about more? 
Brendan sure. Hall. Brendan Hall on SMU. He's six foot eight, and I think that needs to be addressed. That they've got six foot eight kicker slash punter. That's fair. I think I, I'm not talking anything about his quality of play. I've only seen him actually kick a couple of times and they've been like on kickoff. So like he has only he's kicked twice. He's he, only he, kicked he two kick field goals. Duty. Right. But he's kicked two field goals. He made none of them. So I, I think he's probably the big leg kicker for them, but uh, he is definitely the punter. He, he, yeah. I mean, he's got good yardage. They just clearly don't have to do that that much, you know? So, yeah. um, but again, that's why six foot eight is worth remembering. Yeah. It is interesting. It's like that. Who was that uh, punter that Houston had? Who was like, he was like six ten a couple of years ago and he was oh tat- like tatted up and down the arms, Australian guy. It was incredible. It was, awesome. And he was also like 30 years old too. Like well, that's my favorite part. punter is Miami's punter, Lou Hartley, oh, yeah. because he's incredible. So, yeah. but yeah, it was just like got to give special teams punt. their love. You yeah, know, absolutely. Uh, did you have any other categories for us? No, that was okay. it. Do you have one more? Or are you done? So I didn't know if I wanted to do MVP or offensive player of the year and defensive player of the year. So I know who I'd okay. say for that. I just wanted to know whether or not I should pull it out or not. If you want, yeah, go for it and kick, end it off with sure. that. Uh, if I had to give a defense player of the year right now, it's Marcus Jones, the corner from Houston. I love that. Awesome athlete, awesome player. He's been locked down. Also could be your special teams player of the year if he felt like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, he's awesome. If when you're watching Houston, look out for number eight on defense. He's the punt return specialist for sure. And then Trey Tucker is more of the kick return. Yeah. So yes, yes. Marcus Jones is awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And that's, I think everything that I've got for our little yeah. season award show. Do you have, I just asked you that. So no, uh, but congrats to all the guys that, uh, and all of the yeah, places and things and people trophies that we are lost. Yeah. Trophies are lost in the mail. <laughs> yeah. They'll, yeah we'll, we'll get them there eventually. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> all right. That's going to do it for this yeah. one, huh? Yeah, I think so. I think it's about time. Uh, you can find me at the end underscore Morrison 96 and you can find me at MLM, E-M-I-L-N-E-M. All right. And we're all set. We'll see you next time.